It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. One of the reasons the Build Back Better bill is on pause is because of a series of disagreements over how to fund child care and whether the program, as it was set up, would disproportionately hurt religious child care facilities. Uh, so we wanted to get beyond the headlines. So we sat down with Patrick Brown from the Ethics and Public Policy Center to talk about what we need to really know behind the challenge when it comes to child care facilities. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. As I mentioned, uh, one of the reasons that Build Back Better is on pause is, is just some of these disagreements. But one of them that was sort of a surprise, I think, to many who have followed it closely, uh, one that didn't get a lot of the headlines uh, of other issues, was child care. And as I said, we uh, sat down with Patrick Brown from the Ethics and Public Policy Center to talk about what happened uh, and where the flaws and challenges were. So Patrick Brown explained to us uh, what was flawed about how the child care provision was written as they were putting the Build Back Better plan together? The child care uh, provision in this bill was written more for the child care industry than it was for parents. And it was explicitly intended to raise wages for child care workers with the understanding that some of that increased cost for firms would be picked up by the by the government. Uh, especially for families who were making, uh, you know, low uh, to middle incomes. But as you mentioned, for families in the middle income or upper middle income brackets, um, they were going to be paying much higher prices for child care out of pocket, and they wouldn't be eligible for the same generous subsidies that the families lower down on the spectrum, on the income spectrum, would be getting. So I think it's really interesting to to look at that, uh, and this is a good lesson in how bills get written. Uh, as Patrick said, the bill was written for the child care industry, for child care workers to get increased wages because of government subsidies that would play into that. Uh, And so when a bill is written for an industry, as opposed to citizens, it rarely ends well. And that's clearly what happened. Uh, It would would give government subsidies that would uh, help the child care industry, not help parents because prices will go up. Uh, And so we asked Patrick specifically uh, some of the other kind of unintended consequences and some of the intended consequences, uh, specifically uh, parts of the bill that intentionally hurt religious-based child care providers. A lot of parents who participate in child care um, do so at a faith-based child care provider. And those 
providers um, were often put in the back burner in the way that the, the, the program was designed, uh, certainly in the initial version. Um, and so that was another reason, another way uh, of indicating that this plan was really not written with parents' best interest in mind, but it was really written for the sort of child care advocacy industry um, that, that um, doesn't always have uh, the best interest of small and, and faith-based providers at heart. So as we uh, dug into this a little deeper with Patrick, the first way that the Build Back Better plan hurt religious providers was certain language in there which would have taken away some of their exemptions from federal discrimination laws. Language in the legislation which would have put them on the hook for uh, abiding by all sorts of federal anti-discrimination laws and other civil rights legislation that um, apply to certain child care providers, but but faith-based providers currently receive an exemption from. So if you want to provide care in a way that is in accordance with your religion or, or you want to um, hire people who and give a preference to people who are members of your congregation or whatever, you're, you're currently eligible to do that and build that better, better in, the, in the version that the House put forward, um, put that at risk. And, and very important to note, in the Senate version uh, that, again, uh, has not passed either, uh, they did take this out of the bill. So that was, a, I think, a good step in terms of uh, rectifying that. Second way it would have hurt religious providers was by making them ineligible for certain grants, which is another really tricky thing that Patrick explained to us. But there was another provision that, that made the religious child care providers ineligible for some of the grants that were um, uh, meant to expand childcare capacity for certain facilities. They said if you're if you are a sectarian or religious uh, organization, then you're not eligible for those. And that was still in the final text that was being negotiated when when Joe Manchin hit the pause button. Uh, so so now we want to start projecting forward a little bit. So we asked Patrick, okay, let's let's say we uh, get past the pause button. Uh, we get through a few of the things that will definitely uh, take precedent in Washington D.C. over the next few weeks. Uh, and so when this gets taken up again, uh, we asked Patrick to give us some some ideas in terms of what lawmakers should be doing, uh, especially to ensure parents have more choice and more money in their pockets when it comes to child care. There is a pluralistic uh, ecosystem of child care and that parents are going to have a wide variety of preferences for what's best for their kid. And it's not always going to be full time center based care. And so we shouldn't treat that as the model for what every parent wants. We should recognize that the best thing we can do is put more money in parents' pockets to make the choices that's best for them and also streamline some of the, uh, some of the aid that's out there to help small you know, home-based care, uh, child uh, center-based care, church-based care, all, all the sort of pantheon of, of different uh, you know, child, child care situations that parents rely on rather than just defaulting to, to the sort of you know, for-profit center-based model that seemed to take preeminence in the Build Back Better negotiation. And finally, we talked about what Democrats uh, should consider doing, uh, which is actually working with Republicans on that. There, There is a lot of bipartisan opportunity when it comes to child care. Of course, Utah Senator Mitt Romney introduced his own child care bill last year, the Family Security Act, uh, to help find the right solution. Uh, so Patrick suggested that uh, Democrats need to look at it a little bit differently and maybe with a few more Republicans in the room and a few more parents in the room, not just child care professionals and industry experts. Democrats should recognize that they have uh, a, a willing partner on, on the Republican side of the aisle who's interested in finding a, a smart way of, of helping parents take that 
monthly cash and, and use it for the things that, that's best for them. So, you know, if, if you're a parent who, who needs a little extra help providing child care, you can count on that, you know, extra $200, $300 a month uh, to, to make that payment work. So um, there's definitely uh, a chance for there to be a discussion moving forward about doing things uh, the right way rather than just trying to cram everything into one piece of legislation uh, with, with not a lot of thought behind it. Again, that's our conversation with Patrick Brown. He's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And again, it's astounding to me how often we allow the lawyers and the lobbyists to drive public policy. And that clearly happened uh, on the front end of this uh, provision for child care and the Build Back Better plan. Uh, you need to have parents in the room. You can't just make it good for the industry. you got to make it good for the consumer, the citizen. And by the way, they are the voters. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.